Welcome to Sports Rivals with Monty and Ernie, lively, entertaining banter on sports topics you want to hear. you may be listening welcome to the mother's day week edition of these sports rivals and ernie we gotta dive into a lot of nba talk but before we get into the nba i'd be remiss if we didn't discuss a little bit the university of hawaii men's volleyball team's disappointing conclusion to the season but phenomenal ride not just this year but over the last three years they fall just a little bit short as UCLA wins their first title since 2006, their 20th championship overall. We gave it all we could, but UCLA prevails in four sets. And honestly, they were the better team yesterday. Hawaii never gave up. That's their DNA. They stay calm. They stay, they don't get rattled, but UCLA just made one play after another. And to me, it came down to the service line where even Penn State, Penn State kept, was stayed in the game because of their serve. Uh, and then UCLA, 10 aces, and it's not just the aces. They were serving so well. And on the return side, they were passing off of our serves extremely well. UCLA was looked dominant. And the scary part is everyone can come back. Yeah, Whether they come eligible. back or not, right. well, it remains to be seen. But... We had everybody come back this year, and we fell a little bit short. So you just never know. But Ernie, just that University of Hawaii men's program, 2,200 Hawaii fans traveled to Virginia to watch them. I can't really remember the last time a team galvanized the state this way, Mm -hmm. where you have people traveling 5,000 miles away to watch a tournament. the public just adores these group of guys that energy the love affair with the men's volleyball team in the state of hawaii was something to behold for better or worse they brought the state together oh yeah oh yeah i mean uh hawaii loves a winner i mean uh uh sports are the professional franchises over here i remember when the the wahine were you know in the title matches back in the back in the old days that they had uh you know put everyone in on the state on their back as far as uh you know when they went to play championships very much support so i I, i'm not surprised that they you know they're able to do this when hawaii went to uh the sugar bowl that year you know uh had a lot of support so when when the program does well you know i uh, we have our fans that will you know go the extra mile to witness this but yeah you're right for a sport that's not football basketball i mean where else would you find this i mean we that it by far the furthest away from virginia as you can get is hawaii (laughs) by far (laughs) yeah absolutely and it was just it was just a magical ride i mean back-to-back championships this year we go 29 and 3 uh with the loss but just a tremendous ride. Just we're gonna miss Jakob Tella 
and Dimi Mukles, uh, who are both moving on to the professional ranks. But we still bring four guys back. Yeah. We have the three Moana Lua boys coming on. We got to find a setter, though, because one thing UCLA has amongst all those players coming back is that dominant freshman setter that looks to be, for you Hawaii fans, we know Micah Christensen is, is the USA setter right now. And they were talking about this during the match that Micah is the best setter since Karch Karai. And this guy seems to be the heir apparent. By the time he's ready to graduate, Micah's probably going to be ready to step aside and retire from the U.S. national team. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at what could be a generational type setter that UCLA has. And great setting makes everything else easier for oh, yeah. your hitters and oh, yeah. for everything else. So he oh, yeah. was brilliant as but, a freshman. Yeah, but take away nothing from the UH program. Again, back-to-back -back -back national championship and that <coughs> second set was, you know, one to remember. I mean, they were down 19, 13, come all the way back, uh, you know, go into the 30s when they are going for, for deuces over there. And I mean, the rallies, the... The pressure points. I mean, Hawaii had the Hawaii won on their sixth set point. So yeah, it was it was I mean, remarkable. That, that, that was second crazy. set, even the announcers were saying that was probably the best set of volleyball they had ever seen. It was phenomenal. But after that, it just seemed like UCLA was a little bit too much. They closed us out in four. So congratulations, UCLA, on your 20th championship. But more importantly, congratulations to the University of Hawaii men's volleyball team for an incredible ride over the last four years. And a sincere thank you from the people of Hawaii for bringing us together and giving us something to cheer about so vigorously. So that's the University of Hawaii men's volleyball team. Ernie, it was state championships galore over the weekend. Mm -hmm. Let's start with your Campbell Sabres winning the girls softball title. That team was full of aloes. I got to think they're related <laughs> to Jocelyn in some way, shape or form, whether it be sister or cousin. But there were two aloes on that team. If there were, then they might, if, if they're coming, if the aloes came from Haula via Eva Beach. Then. Yeah, Campbell, because that's where Jocelyn played. She played at Campbell before going uh, on to uh, Oklahoma. Um, it, great championship. Campbell was the number one seed. They played like it. They won a squeaker four to three. Their pitcher closed out 17 straight batters to end the game. Campbell four, Kamehameha three. Now, Kamehameha had hoped to have a sweep Friday night because right next door, because the, these games are played on the University of Hawaii campus, in the Wahine Stadium, Campbell wins. In the men's Les Murakami Stadium, Kamehameha walks it off. A 5-4 victory over Baldwin. Heartbreak for Baldwin. Two straight years, they come in second in the state. Chase Souza, that same Chase Souza from the Little League World Series champs from a few years back, not last year's team, but a few years back, game-winning double into the gap, scoring uh, future University of Hawaii player Ikes. Um, Kamehameha walks it off 5-4 for their first title in 20 years. So Kamehameha wow. wins the boys' baseball championship. Campbell wins the girls' softball championship both Friday night. And in Maui at the Kamehameha uh, Maui campus, the state track championships. Congratulations to the St. Louis Crusaders. They win the boys' state championship, breaking the four-year stronghold by Punahou, who always seems to always, win. Always, always. On the girls' side, though, Punahou did win their fifth consecutive title. 
And special congratulations. You guys know that Ernie and I have been coaches in soccer for a while. Uh, one of the girls we coached, not her, because she's a nurse now, but her younger brother, Saitin Lasconia, a sophomore, uh, was one of the four on the 4x100 team that won the, the state championship and led them to the state overall championship. So congratulations, Saitin yeah, and Saiten. the Lasconia family. <laughs> All right, so this week, Ernie, the last thing to wrap up high school sports is the boys volleyball championships. That's going to be exciting because you're talking about a plethora of D1 talent. Moanalua is the number one seed with the three UH recruits coming in. The number two seed is Kamehameha Kapalama with uh, Charlie, Charlie Wade's son yeah. leading the way there. And then you have Kamehameha Maui as the uh, three seed and Kamehameha Hawaii as the four seed. Or maybe that's back... Maybe that's flip-flop. But I think the way things stack up, Punahou is another dominant team filled with Division I talent. They're actually at the top of the bracket. So Punahou is going to play Moanalua if they win the first, first round. So that's a tough matchup for Moanalua early on to have to play Punahou because what normally happens, at least recently, it's two ILH teams for the championship right. year in and year out. Although this Moana Lua team is University of Hawaii Junior because of all these players coming in. So that should be exciting. It should that, be a great that, volleyball. It should because Punahou normally stacks. I mean, I remember UCLA's, UCLA's squad was stacked with former Punahou players. I mean, year after year after year. I mean, Led uh, by former University of Hawaii player Rick Toon. Yep. I mean, that Punahou squad is like how... Moanalo squad. I mean, they, they, you look at the Moanalo squad, which, which would have uh, three college players. Punahou would put that out on a yearly basis. So, uh, you know, probably not as good as they were back in, back in the days when they were, like, winning state championship after state championship. But still, I, they, they have tradition on their side. I expect that to be a very competitive game. And you know, as, as somebody from Hawaii, I think we're very proud that the fact that Moanalua, Punahou, and Kamehameha are easily, when Moanalua is number six in the nation, I think Kamehameha and Punahou are easily in your top 25 to 30 at worst. So to have three of the top 30 teams in the country is quite remarkable for Hawaii, and it's going to be a hell of a round of volleyball next weekend. But Ernie, that's Ernie. I'm Monty. We are the sports rivals and the NBA playoffs. So what looked like there could be some sleeper uh, series after some dominant performances early on. All these series now are tight. So let's go. <laughs> let's start at the, the, the series that nobody really cares about. The Boston and Philadelphia series. <laughs> Actually, I take that hater, back. Hater, hater. Let's start with the Miami Heat and the New York Knicks. Miami has taken a 2-1 to one lead. The only one that the Knicks won is when Jimmy Butler sat out the game. And even right. that one was relatively close. Right. Um, it just seems like, I don't know what it is. Brunson seems to have some nagging injuries. Julius Randle. Ankle. has the ankle that is causing him issues and there are some players Ernie and I were talking about this there are some players that can play injured and there are some players that cannot Jimmy Butler can play injured right Julius Randle cannot. is not quite the same yeah. so I'm looking for Miami to come out tomorrow win game four take a commanding 3-1 lead uh, and I would expect at this point I would expect Miami to prevail if not in five then at most I would think six games I'd be really surprised if the Knicks found a way 
to win tomorrow down in Miami. Your thoughts on yeah, that series? I, I would have to agree with you on top of on, on that. I mean, I, I would figure you, New York could probably push this to seven, but yeah, you're right. I mean, they look all discombobulated. I, I put that on Spolstra. I mean, his game planning uh, in regards to this particular series has really showed. I, 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 Thibodeau just doesn't have the rotation to, to match what Spolstra has to put out there. I mean, you look at Miami and you think that, okay, ah, they won one series against uh, Milwaukee. That was just a fluke. But you do this for so many games in a row. This this is not a fluke, people. I mean, this this is genuine coaching, genuine players. Spolstra puts the his players on the Miami Heat in the best possible situation to succeed. And when you got a player like Jimmy Butler to uh, put icing on the cake, I mean that's just uh, that's just a recipe for for winning. I mean, uh, I agree with you, New York. Unless Miami has even more injuries, a uh, top of Hero and Oladipo, th- this one should be probably the first one to be decided as far as the Eastern Conference Finals are concerned. I, I would think so, because I'm trying to see what the condition of Emmanuel quickly is, because he got hurt at the end of the game, limped badly off the court. I don't see any reports, but if he's out too, or compromised, because he's lightning fast, that's another probably the dagger uh, there. So I look, we both agree, it looks like Miami is going to advance, which is very sad for Ernie, because he is not looking forward to a final in the East like playing against Spostra and Butler. Yeah. And surprisingly, um, this this Boston-Philadelphia series, back and forth, Boston let them steal game one without Joel Embiid. They come back and destroy them in game two. Uh, they win a tight one in game three to take a 2-1 lead. That's when you think, ah, they're going to put him away. Today... Give Sixers credit. Um, Harden hits a big shot at the end. They win 116-115 in overtime. It's 2-2. What are your thoughts on where the Celtics are? I still think they're okay. They'll probably go home and win game five and then game six. But what are your thoughts on how they're playing? Any concerns that you may have? My biggest concern is Joe Mazzullo. I believe this series should be over already. Uh, The first... uh, If you told me that Embiid wasn't playing the first... uh, in the first matchup and you're at home Boston you should win that game but yet they lose you know and then again today what happened uh, basically Boston was trailing throughout most of the game got the lead late in the fourth quarter uh, Missoula did what he was just what he's done all season I thought he would change uh, but he hasn't he he Let's the team play without a timeout. He had two chances to call timeout, one before overtime and one towards the ending of overtime. He didn't do either. He let the players play through. He goes into overtime. The worst part was Jalen Brown at the end of overtime releasing James Harden. Boston Celtics are up by two. I believe there were like 19 or 20 seconds left on the clock. Uh, 12 seconds for... uh, 12 seconds for Philadelphia to shoot on the shot clock. Jalen Brown releases off of Harden to go and double Embiid in the paint. Embiid quickly rotates the ball back to Harden. 
Harden hits the three. Philly is up by one. You know, when you're up by two with 19 seconds left, you don't allow them the three. You don't allow them the three. You give them the two. At, ver- at the very least, you'll get the ball. You have the last shot to go ahead. And if you miss the last shot, you go into a second overtime. That was unexcusable in my opinion. I mean, that, sh- that should never happen. And then they, with like nine or ten seconds left, they still had a shot, uh, a chance to go in. They're they're, they're losing by by one now. The Jason Tatum uh, drives. They collapse on Jason Tatum, but this outlet pass to Market Smart, which actually went in, was Just like a, a tenth of a too second late. too late. But in my opinion, those two uh, timeouts that Joe didn't call uh, cost them. Cost them. They well, you had Marcus shot taking Marcus Smart taking the shot at the end of the game to right. win it, and that fell short. Right, and then he des- his desperation shot that came just a split second behind at the end of the game. So, I mean, that's that that was always going to be the question I had. I mean, I think top to bottom, I think the Celtics have the best roster. I agree. Set up to win a championship with those two All Star wings, um, but. But the, I think the 34-year coach is, he's is an issue. He's yeah, I mean, he's 34. He's an assistant coach that got elevated. Um, he's figuring out how things go on the fly. And that was the question mark that I had, is how would he stack up against good coaches? Now, Doc, Doc Rivers has won a championship in Boston. He's a good coach. Um, but Spolstra is a great coach. Yeah. Kerr is a great coach if he comes across either of those two guys uh, again so we'll, we'll, we'll have to see but I still think Boston is sitting uh, in a pretty good spot I'd be really surprised I give Harden credit because after game one he had a stinker in two and, and a disappointing game three he rebounded today lights out 42 points he's had 40 points plus in two of the four games um, playoff Harden normally doesn't do that so congratulations to him because Embiid is not quite the same uh, he is battling I still think Boston's in a good place at, at a minimum, I think they win in seven. I think they're likely to win in six, uh, winning the next two. So let's transition to the West. Again, that's Ernie. I'm Monty. We are talking NBA playoffs and the game that just ended now. Ernie, after the first two games, Denver blew out Phoenix twice. It right. looked like it was going to be a complete mismatch. Then you add the fact that Chris Paul gets injured his groin, he misses games three and four. So what happens? Phoenix wins both of them. <laughs> so your, your thoughts on, on what's going on with that Phoenix-Denver series. Now it's anybody's game. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think in this particular case, I mean, you looked at Denver and Denver said, okay, we're, uh, let's, let's let our, not let's let our foot off the pedal, but, uh, you know, they definitely overlooked uh, Phoenix and Phoenix with two superstars, at least in Game 3, those two, uh, what did they do? 86 points or something between the both of them. And even though Jokic went off, uh, two is better than one when it comes to superstars, and they were able to pull it off. Today was a different story. Today, uh, they had a little bit more help. You know, from the role, role players as far mm-hmm. as Phoenix is concerned. Especially Larry Shamit, who went with four threes in the fourth yeah, quarter. Yeah. Um, that really helped bring the game to a close. But the efficiency, 
Let, let's talk about the play of the superstars. I mean, Nikola Jokic in a losing cause today goes for 53 points on 20 of 30 shooting. He also has 11 assists, meaning that he was responsible for 80 plus points today, either directly scoring or passing. Murray goes for 28, so the two of them combined score 81. Not to be outdone though, on the Phoenix side, Kevin Durant goes for 36, Booker goes for 36, but right. they were so efficient. Kevin Durant, 11 for 19, 12 of 13 from the free throw line. Devin Booker, 14 of 18, three of four from three, five of six from the line. Devin Booker has been just incredible. I mean, he was incredible against the Clippers. He's continuing that 20 out of 25 in game three, 14 out of 18. That's an unbelievable efficiency rate for a guard who's mostly from the mid-range and out. He was five of six from three the other night, three of four tonight. Uh, Devin Booker is playing at an unbelievable level. That being said, I still think we go back to Denver. I think Denver responds, gets the win. Um, but I think this one could go seven now. I think Phoenix will come back home, win game six. They'll go and play a game seven, may the best man win. I would think that Denver could probably win this at home. But Jokic and Murray need some consistent help. Because right now, I thought that Denver had the better defensive team. But right now, everybody is just shooting lights out. Denver shot 56% from oh, the yeah. field today and still lost. Uh, and then Phoenix shoots 57% from the field, 45% from three. Denver's got to do a better job of at least slowing Booker and Durant down because they're really carrying them. Larry Schmidt's not going to hit four three-pointers no, in the no, fourth and, quarter and, the and, next and time. To me, he was the X-factor. I mean, just by himself, he had 19 points. The entire bench of the Denver Nuggets produced 11 points. And when you don't have Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon on, on Denver's side putting up the numbers that they're supposed to be putting up, uh, that's a recipe for disaster. So I, I, I believe with I'm on, on, on your side. If Denver just plays to their potential, uh, they'll win. If Phoenix... Uh, what do you call that? Continues this, I'll be very surprised because they're, I mean, like you said, Durant and Booker have been 120% above what they need to do. But that's what's keeping them afloat. You got to figure the law of averages, just on shooting itself, got to bring this thing back down to normal. And it could happen in the next two games. If that happens, this series is over, in my opinion. Because, like I said, the last two games, Phoenix has been playing above and beyond what they need to do. And they still don't have Chris Paul back. Yeah. He's still not going to be back. You know, Ernie, I'm going to say it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it. I'm going to say it right now. I think they're better off without Chris Paul. Um, I think he slows them down. Mm. I think the ball has been in either Booker's or Durant's hands. And I think they're facilitating off of that. They seem to be getting better looks. Um yeah, I, Could I mean, Chris Paul is a Hall of Famer, one of the best point guards in the history of the game, one of the top 75 players of all time, a great player, but he's gotten old really, really quickly, and I think his pace of play hurts them. Um, we'll see. We'll see if he's able to come back, and we'll see what happens, but I still like uh, Denver, but not as much as I thought after the first two blowout wins. I mean, I think anytime you have Durant and Booker, 
Anything can happen. Yeah, yeah. Again, I'm going to agree with you. When you only have two superstars to contend with, that's something that you should be able to, you know, find a way to find do. a way to stop them. And, yeah. and we're only talking. I mean, we're, I'm not that I'm dismissing DeAndre Ayton, but DeAndre Ayton is in an offensive uh, force out there. So it's really yeah, he's got to do more. He's got to make Jokic play defense yeah. because Jokic is just dominating on the offensive side. He's not a great defender. Now, to Aaron Gordon's credit. Until today, Kevin Durant's points have not been efficient like Booker's. Mm. I mean, he's been 9 for 25. He was 8 for 26. So Aaron Gordon is making it very tough on Kevin Durant. Today, he was much more efficient, but he's still getting his points. So that leaves us with one more series, and that's my Los Angeles Lakers. It's been a roller coaster week. But I can't say I didn't expect that. <laughs> game one, uh, coming off a grueling seven-game series, the Warriors. Uh, I, I hope that the Lakers were going to be able to win. That was a phenomenal game. It was so much fun watching it. It was the Lakers down low and getting to the line. The Warriors with 21 three-pointers on 53 attempts. Um, the Lakers find a way to prevail. Even if they're up 14, let the Warriors go on a 14-0 run to tie the game before the Lakers scored the last five to win 117-112. Dominant that game was Anthony Davis with 30 points, 23 rebounds, uh, five assists, four block shots, completely dominant. So everybody knew what was going to happen in game two, and it did. (laughs) I mean, it's remarkable how... He yeah. plays every other game. I mean, he, on the odd games, he dominated Memphis. In the even games, he's been terrible. That trend continued. He just laid a complete dud. And you could tell from the beginning his energy wasn't there. He was missing shots. His body language wasn't there. The Lakers kept it close for a while. Um, but in the third quarter, the Warriors just blew him out. 21 more three-pointers yeah, led by Clay Thompson going crazy. Uh, Steph only had 20 points because... He was dishing the ball. He had 12 assists. Um, So they win that. It goes back to LA 1-1. Pleasantly surprised yesterday. Golden State leads by seven at the end of the first quarter. And the Lakers' defense clamped down in a big, big way. They also started to get ultra-aggressive, going to the hole, going to the line, including Anthony Davis, who had 13 or 14 free throws. He got Draymond Green in foul trouble, just putting pressure on him, just driving. He got a couple of charge calls on Draymond that were close, but he was putting the pressure. He was getting the calls. He played well. LeBron doesn't take a shot in the first quarter. He comes back with 21 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists. D'Angelo Russell continues to make big shots, but it's that defense, that defense that locked them down. Lakers blow them out, take a big lead entering the fourth quarter. Everybody sits and gets to rest the fourth quarter. Lakers win 2-1. to one. So what does that mean for tomorrow? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I got to figure that they're going to play about the same. I mean... Like I said, defense travels. I, I trust defense more than offense. Uh, again, when you're when you're talk, talking about the success of the Golden State Warriors in the previous series against the Sacramento Kings, I mean they just basically they dominated the boards. Uh, again, Kevon Looney, who had 20, 20, 20 in three games, three games where he had twenty plus rebounds. Uh, in game three, he only had uh, four. 
Yeah, but I mean, in game one, he, he had yeah. 23 again, but he hasn't been playing. You know, they, they in game one, he had 23 rebounds. Oh, I thought he only had like 16 or something. No, he had, tw- he had the same as Anthony Davis. But then in game two, he was sick, and they went to the smaller lineup that seemed to work. And they're sticking with that smaller lineup. So for me... I'm actually kind of happy because he's a real problem in there. Because if Anthony Davis, what they were doing is sucking Anthony Davis out to help, and then he was cleaning up on all the rebounds. Um, I actually like this small lineup a little bit better. But like you say, Ernie, defense does travel. Right. The problem is with the Lakers, the defense starts with Anthony Davis. So if he's motivated, even if he's not scoring, if he's dominating the paint defensively, the Lakers have got a chance, but it really starts with him because Golden State, they shot 39% from the field, 29% from three. They ain't going to shoot like that two games in a row. Yeah, they're not. You got to expect that they're going to come back a little bit big. But then again, the the point spread in regards to the, the Lakers was uh, so much so that they don't have to keep up with the Golden State Warriors in that particular category. They can just play their normal defense as long as they can, to me, as long as they can keep Golden State, you know, inside 110 points and they just keep on pounding the glass, pounding the glass, pounding the glass, I think that's going to be a recipe for them to take this series. I think I think they're going to have to win game four. I mean, I really do. I think they're going to have to treat this, like with Memphis, they're going to have to treat this as a critical must-win game because... If they lose game four, they've just given back home court advantage right right back to the Warriors. Uh, And the longer this series goes, the more tired LeBron and AD (laughs) are going to get. I mean, same can be true for Clay and and Curry and Draymond. They're they're old as well, but we're older and we're more frail. (laughs) So I'm worried. I, I mean, I think the Lakers have to come out, try to win game four, and try to put them away as soon as possible but you can never ever rule out the defending champs four-time champs in the last six years Steve Kerr is a brilliant coach a brilliant adjuster he came up with an effective game plan that put us to bed in game two I'm sure he's going to come out with something in game four so that's tomorrow night so game four of the Miami and the Knicks series tomorrow game four of Golden State Lakers tomorrow at the end of Monday night Hopefully, there'll be two series that are three games to one and two that are two games apiece. Um, But we shall see. But gotta say I, i'm glad my lakers are up to one because yeah. i was you you're more confident in their ability to win this series than i am um but their defense man when they when they're playing motivated defense it's unlike anything that i've seen recently they are really locked down from multiple positions it is and they have the bodies to do that because they're big and if you can just absorb the absorb the hits from golden state golden state is very they have a very good knack of when you drive into the lane they can easily steal the ball and they've done that series after series i, I just noticed that i mean i don't know if they're getting away with uncalled fouls uh, or, or whatnot but they've been very adept of creating turnovers and limiting the the points in the paint from from that particular standpoint. In this series, it it hasn't come to fruition. I mean, the Lakers again have been putting body on body, and I think that's wearing them down as the game goes on. And I think as the series go on, 
uh, at least in my theory, I think that's going to take care of, care of the Golden State because I need your Lakers to win. I fear the Golden State more than I fear. The, I think the matchup for Boston is better with the Lakers than it is for Golden State. Just from just from my mental aspect, <laughs> that's how I feel. <laughs> We shall see. Again, the NBA playoffs, by the time we record next week, this round will be completed no matter what. Uh, Mother's Day Sunday would be the last of the Game 7. So we will know by next week Sunday who are in the conference finals. So let's transition. That's Ernie. I am Monty. We are the Sports Rivals. We're going to go quickly into the business of sports uh, Ernie, I, I'm sure you saw this, but this week Forbes came out with their list of top 10 uh, top paid athletes. And no surprise, soccer players rule the rule stuff at the top. So let's spit through this list real quick. At number one, Ronaldo, $136 million earned last year, including $95 million in salary. Again, he got that chunk of money from the Saudis that put him above Messi in the number one spot at $136 million. Messi was number two at $130 million, just $6 million less. Now, word came out this week as well that Lionel Messi will be joining Ronaldo in Saudi Arabia next year. He's leaving Paris Saint-Germain. He's also headed to Saudi Arabia. Wow. So I would expect Messi to leap over Ronaldo possibly next year. And then at number three, you have Kylian Mbappe, He's at 120 million. Now this guy, see, Ronaldo and Messi are both 35 plus. They're at the end of their careers making this. Right. Mbappe is still 24. Yeah. So the amount of money this kid's gonna make over the next 10 years, health, uh, if he stays healthy, is going to be mind-boggling. Number four, you have LeBron at 119 million. Most of that is off the court. He made 45 million on the court. Most of the rest comes off the court. And then number five, the only boxer, Canelo Alvarez, made $110 million. I believe that was from one fight last year. He won last night. He, he won a fight down in Mexico last night, but that didn't count towards this total. $110 million for Canelo Alvarez. And then comes the Live Tour people. Dustin Johnson and Phil Mickelson both show up at six and seven. $107 million for Dustin Johnson. 106 for Phil Milkerson because they had that $100 million signing bonuses. Right. So that put them automatically in the top 10. $100 million signing bonus, Ernie. That's, <laughs> that's crazy. Without even having to win a tournament. And then at number eight, you have Steph Curry at just over $100 million. Roger Federer still in the top 10 at $95 million. I can't believe All that. endorsements because he's he hasn't been playing already. He's retired. And then at number 10, Kevin Durant at $89 million. Again, half of that in uh, in salary, half of that in endorsements. And Kevin Durant becomes the third player ever this week to sign a lifetime contract with Nike, joining Michael Jordan and LeBron James. So Kevin Durant is now a lifetime Nike uh, marketer. So for the rest of his life, Kevin Durant will be attached to Nike. Any thoughts on this list? I yeah. noticed there are no Celtics here. Because <laughs> the Celtics are fair in their in their contract negotiations. <laughs> it's because nobody wants to pay the Celtic players for endorsements. That's what it is. <laughs> but I'm surprised because these these amounts are in U.S. dollars. So those European players that you're talking about, the soccer players in Lionel Messi, uh, Mbappe, Ronaldo. and Ronaldo, I mean, you multiply that by what the U.S. dollar is 
in their currency, especially Lionel Messi, because he comes from uh, Argentina. Yeah, Argentina, and their economy is like uh, in turmoil right now. That is like you could say that that's multiplied by five. I mean, just just the buying power that they have with that. Now he doesn't live in Argentina all that time. He of course is in Europe, but still. Uh, it's incredible because that's U.S. dollars factored into European money or for wherever they may uh, spend the majority of their time in. It's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, $130 million, we're in Hawaii right now. $130 million is like 65000 in in, <laughs> in some places. It's crazy. Yeah, so those are your top 10 Forbes list top athletes of 2023 again soccer is the world's most prevalent sport followed by the nba and if you remove the saudis the saudis are controlling this list um it's pretty interesting so i'm going to move into the nfl now we're only about 35 minutes in i think we have enough time the nfl not a whole lot going on but i have a top 10 list post draft that i think is what I think coming out of the draft, coming out of free agency, as of right now, before we get to the summer, before we get to training camp, this is how I see it. I want to get your opinions okay. on this and tell me what you think. Uh, at number one, I have the Cincinnati Bengals. I think it's just their year. I think they've been knocking on the door for two consecutive years, once in the Super Bowl, once in the AFC Championship. I think it comes down to health. They have Orlando Brown to lock down one of the offensive line positions. I like what they did in the draft. They still have all of their receivers. Um, I like the I like the Bengals. The Chiefs would be number two. As long as they have Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, it's really hard to go against them. They had seven rookies that played last, uh, last year. You got to think all of them are going to be better. Um, they drafted a receiver. They lost Juju, but Juju's not that hard to replace um they lost nicole hardman but he was out most of last year anyway and they still won the super bowl and he wasn't there in the super bowl um anytime you have the best player in the planet to me you have a shot i have them at two the eagles would be at three i love what they did in the draft they lost their two coordinators i think that more than anything else makes me nervous they lost javon hargrave to the 49ers their defensive tackle but Jalen Carter is going to fill that void. They may have a net benefit um, the way we expect Jalen Carter to play. So I like the Eagles at three, just ahead of the 49ers. I still think the 49ers top to bottom have the best roster in the NFL, but they do have questions at quarterback. Trey Lance, they're still trying to move him, apparently. Purdy, you don't know when he's going to come back. They did sign Sam Darnold, but if you go into the season with an injured Purdy and Sam Darnold as your hope... Um, that remains to be seen, but I think they're loaded. I think they are my clear four. From here on, that's where things can be a little bit muddled, and this is where I think you're probably going to have significant differences. I still like Buffalo at five, barely over Baltimore. I think with Josh Allen, I like the I like Dalton Kincaid. I, I think he's going to do really well in this lineup. Their defense still question marks. You got to think Von Miller will come back, but at his age already, off an ACL, what? does he have i think they missed him more than anything else last year his leadership and his play buffalo at five but barely baltimore they got their quarterback Lamar jackson finally signs for the 260 million 
They sign Odell Beckham. If he can stay healthy, we'll see. Rashad Bateman comes back. Their number one pick is Zay Flowers. They already have Mark Andrews and Isaiah Likely. They have Gus Edwards and J.K. Uh, Dobbins. They have a good offensive line. Ronnie Stanley will be back. They always play good defense. The question is, will they stay healthy? Over the last two years, they've been very banged up. And, and Lamar Jackson especially has missed the back end of the last two seasons. If they stay healthy, I think they can compete with the Bengals and the Chiefs and the Bills for sure. And for me, it's just a big if. At number seven, I go Seattle Seahawks. Wow. I love, again, what they did in the draft. You have, you have now, now it's all going to come down to Geno Smith. Was last, week, last year an aberration or is that what we can expect? But now you have DK Metcalf, you have Tyler Lockett, and you have uh, Smith and Jiba now there to be the slot. You have Kenneth Walker and Charbonneau to be the running backs. You have great ta- rookie tackles last year who's coming back. You bring Bobby Wagner back to solidify your linebacker. You bring in pass rushers. You draft the best corner in the draft to go with an all-rookie corner last year. That team is stacked. They're young in key positions, but they're stacked. Um, So I have them at number seven. Number eight, the Miami Dolphins. They're loaded. It's just a matter of can Tua stay healthy. If he stays healthy, they'll be fine. If he doesn't, they'll be mediocre. I think it's as simple as that. The Jets at number nine with Aaron Rodgers. I think their expectations are sky high. Can he, their defense is already really good. What does Aaron Rodgers have left to bring to the table to elevate the offense enough to win games? Now, is he enough to have them win 10 games and get into the playoffs? I think so. I think if he can stay healthy, and again, that offensive line is the biggest question because Garrett Wilson is a stud. They brought in Alan Lazard. Um, Their defense is is great. They have Brees Hall as a running back. They're talented. I'll have them at number nine. And at 10, I couldn't decide, so I'm going to spit out three names real quick. The Detroit Lions, I think they're an up-and-coming team. Of the three teams that I have here, I think they may be the weakest, but because they play in the NFC, which is so much easier, I think they're going to have the best record and the best opportunity to advance further in the playoffs. Then the Chargers, perpetually high expectations, perpetually failing those expectations. But I think Kellen Moore coming over as an offensive coordinator with defensive coaches that they've had for the last three, four years, I think he's going to make a difference. I think they, they go, they'll be a 30-plus game scorer, and then Staley can focus on the D. If they do that, they could be trouble and your Steelers. I mean, I think they had a great draft. I think defensively, they're always going to be strong. If TJ Watt stays healthy, and you got to think he's still young. He's not going to have another year like, like last year when he missed most of the year. I think their defense is going to be fine, and you got to expect that offense to take a leap. Pick it in year two, offensive line in year two. They've brought in some additions there. Najee will have his best year ever. I think their wide receiver room is great. Pickens is probably going to take a leap. Um, I like the Steelers. The only trouble with them is that that division is going to be brutal because yeah. you hate Cleveland, but yeah. I think Cleveland will be stronger than people think if they can stay healthy because I think Deshaun Watson will be fine. I still think Cleveland finishes last, but the Bengals, the Ravens, and the Browns, that's a tough division. Yep. In conference, too, you got to play another division. So if you're not playing the AFC South, every other division is tough. i got to think the Steelers' schedule is hard. 
So because of that, I think they may not be quite as high as, say, like the Lions in terms of win total. But personnel-wise and and where they are youth-wise moving up, I like the Steelers. So okay. if you any thoughts on this list, I don't know if you want to see it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll agree with you in regards to Cincinnati being number one. That's who I actually picked. I, I'm not sure if it was I, we mentioned that on the podcast at the end of the football season. It is very hard in the NFL to repeat a champion. I do believe, and that, that's no disrespect to Cincinnati, I mean, to the Kansas City's Chiefs, but the last team to repeat as Super Bowl champions was the New England Patriots back in 2004 2005. It's been a long, long time before any team, and there's been a lot of dominant teams in the NFL be, from not from that time until now that have played. So again, uh, I believe uh, Cincinnati making it two years ago, tasting, you know, you know, tasting the the juice if you can call it that, and then falling short here is going to be just that much more hungry. Uh, I believe. Like uh, uh, in your ranking, that they're gonna, they're right now my my pick to win uh, this uh, next year's Super Bowl. Uh, and again, I'm gonna agree with you in regards to the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, until somebody knocks them out, I mean, I gotta put them ahead of the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, which you had at number three. Even though the Philadelphia Eagles had the one of the be- best drafts that I've seen, I thought the Steelers had a terrific uh, draft. I mean, all biases aside, the Philadelphia Eagles had an even better... Do you know what scares me about them, though? It's, just, it's the assistant coaches leaving, and it's not the, the defensive coach, because I think they'll be fine. But I think we kind of saw what Josh Allen was at the end of this year without Brian Dable. I think coaching matters, and so I'm, I'm curious to see how Jalen Hurts does without his... Uh, offensive coordinator that really helped his development. So we'll see. Okay. The the one that I'm going to veer off on top of this is your pick of the Jets being at number nine. I like them a lot more than you like them. I believe that Aaron Rodgers with his pedigree will galvanize that offense. Their defense is already, t- in my opinion, they're a good, de- they're a great defense mm-hmm. that is only going to get better. They are young, they are talented, and they're splash makers. I think the offensive pieces just didn't work put together. Again, the key is going to be that offensive line. If Aaron Rodgers can stay upright, that offense not will match the defense, but will be uh, have enough prowess, you know, to go offense and defense to, in my opinion, be the number one team in the AFC East. And wow. you're, we're talking with, like you said, the Miami Dolphins and the Buffalo Bills being being in that particular category i'm looking for the buffalo bills actually to drop a little Mm -hmm. i look for the miami dolphins to actually get a little bit better i have buffalo bills third in that division i believe in you that the steelers are going to be up there again it's going to be you know who's the last man standing in that in that division i mean it's it's i mean even when they were all average mediocre they still beat up on each other that's i mean and doesn't matter really in that division you could have a team that's you know, twelve and two, and the other one being four and seven, and they'll still give each other a battle. There are no easy wins mm-hmm. in that division. They just, they just beat each other up. So that's gonna that's gonna be very interesting to watch. I like the development of the line, what they've done in the off season. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm gonna be a homer here. I'm gonna I'm gonna put them uh, ahead of the Ravens for some reason. I know what the Ravens have done. I just think that 
Lamar Jackson is not going to live up to the contract. I think the pressure of him getting all that money, all he needs is one bad game, and the Boo Birds are going to be coming out. That guy played on Eagle all year. I've seen what a lot of people can do with their Eagles when their Eagles are busted and the pressure. He put all that pressure on himself by, you know, uh, having uh, the ultimatum on, you know, either pay me or, or get me out of here. There are costs to that. There's costs to uh, in the locker room. There's a cost in uh, putting a team together. It looks fine now, but I, I, I believe in karma in this particular situation. I believe that the... Uh, Baltimore Ravens who overachieved last year in my opinion they overachieved with all those injuries and whatnot they're gonna underachieve this year I like the Steelers coming second in that division but yeah uh, in, in most part I like your list I think I think the next part will be when the schedule comes out I think it comes out next week and then you'll get to see who is playing who where right and you can kind of break down now we're not gonna break down everybody's schedule but when the schedule comes out I tell you what we will do. We'll break down the Steelers' schedule, try and get a, a an early prognostication in terms of record, and we'll break down the Rams' schedule. I'm not really looking forward to breaking <laughs> down that one, but we will we will go ahead and and break that down. And I don't want to forget to mention the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. We're so thankful to be a part of the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. They have wrapped up their their season of high school sports. They did an incredible job. Uh, Kule and Paul in the mornings on Wake Up in the Den, 8 to 9 on 760 AM, 95.1 FM. I want to give them a shout out. Um, we appreciate our partnership. And, and Ernie and I, before I get into my closing thought, which will be relatively quick, we want to thank everyone because our show, our mock draft, show from uh, a couple of weeks ago was our number one rated show that we've ever had um, the most listenerships that we've ever had and we're super super excited about that and very very grateful for your continued support so continue to let everyone know about the sports rivals and the content that we bring which we, we work hard to try to bring you good fun content now my closing thought back to Hawaii back to the political world Back to the Aloha Stadium. Um, it goes from bad to worse. So the latest, Ernie, is that now for the money that is available, so for $430 million, again, that's $430 million. This is what the University of Hawaii and the people of Hawaii can expect. It started as a 40,000 stadium, 35 with, with sweet boxes and everything. Now it's a $25,000 spectator stadium with all bleachers. Are you kidding me? So not even, not even seats for $430 million. Who's planning this? You know, at, at this point in time, it's ridiculous. It's an embarrassment. It really is. I mean, if you're on the world stage, Hawaii is embarrassing. And it's disgusting to me that we cannot make any decision. And the longer we wait the more expensive things get. We never learn H3, the rail. Now we're going to do it with a stadium and we're jeopardizing Hawaii's future. But Ernie, for $430 million to get 25,000 bleachers, we might as well find a way to give the University of Hawaii 100 to 150 million, knock down a complex, build a parking garage and just build it there on campus because... $430 million for 10,000 more seats? 
does not make sense to me. So I continue to be baffled. We can never agree on anything. Everyone has their own little pet projects and and political things that they want to give in to certain people. A private-public partnership seemed to make the most sense. We have the land. Get somebody who can make a profit and run it efficiently. No, we want to do it on our own when we are incapable of efficiently doing any kind of a project. Yet that's what we want to do with the stadium. For $430 million for a $25,000 seat high school field would be ludicrous. It would be crazy for us to spend that kind of money to get that kind of result. I agree. I mean, there's <laughs> gonna be there's gonna be some contractors in their pockets. I mean, uh, where where do they come up with these figures? And what do they charge? Are we putting gold plated rivets in those bleachers? Because I don't <laughs> see how I don't see how that can come out. You know, even the track. The tra- I, I remember the the track in in uh, when uh, St. Louis built their track. I think that was maybe about seven or eight years ago, or something like that. I mean, that costs five billion dollars. I mean. I don't, I don't, I, I knew there was a inflation, uh, you know, part in this whole scenario, but boy, I don't think it was going to be that much. I mean, to go from uh, $5 million to build a whole track and field with football stuff in there to now you're building, what, something, what, double the size, basically, with bleachers, and now it, now it elevates to 400 and And you already have the land. So you already have the land, so you're not even buying the land. It's this is yeah. it's so frustrating. For I mean, it's so frustrating because there's so much waste involved. It's just, it's a waste of money. It's an embarrassment at the way the world sees us. We go back to what we talked about a couple months ago when we first talked about this, how San Diego State built a 35,000 seat stadium in like two years from scratch to built. We've been talking for two years and nothing has happened yet. And it's only talking. It's just, it's crazy. It's, 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 it's an embarrassment. And it really concerns. If you're a UH supporter, you have to be concerned because you can only be a Division One football team with so many years of not averaging a minimum of 15,000 people. Right now, we have 10,000 seats uh, with no end in sight. So at some point, we have to make this decision. If we're going to keep them on campus, we got to get this thing doubled in size just to have a chance to stay at the Division One level because you do not want to slip out of Division One especially when your men's volleyball team is playing well, your basketball team is playing well, your women's sports are playing well. We're in the nationals for beach volleyball. You don't want to drop to Division Two because your football program doesn't qualify or meet the minimum right. you know, in, terms of, in terms of being able to play here. As best, we're already looking at 2028, 2029. With this Hafokole 25,000-seat stadium, we're still looking at five years when we were supposed to have been playing in 2024 when this first closed down uh, Aloha Stadium in 2020. So, I, again, I just, I had to vent. I had to get my frustration out. Oh, I, I, I know Kule was venting I'm, I'm earlier this week. It's I'm just, it's really frustrating. It's embarrassing. Um, Let's, you know what we do? Let's go to San Diego State, get whoever was on their committee Pay him fifty million dollars, and 
build a cheaper stadium over here. Because yeah. if we do that, we give them $15 million, I guarantee you the stadium will be cheaper than what we're planning right now. They know how to do it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I like to stay local, but the local right now, the way it's happening locally, it's just not happening. It just seems to me, I mean, this, this to me, in my opinion, this breeds of people in somebody's pocket. This breeds of money going into campaigns for politicians out there. This breeds of everything that's not totally committed to the University of Hawaii sports system or the state in, 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 in general. general. Yeah, because the general. stadium is for Bruno Mars and yes. all of these concerts and activities. And it's the center, it's the pico really of this island where it's the hub of where big activities happen. It's not the literal pico as we talk about in the Hawaiian culture, but it is the center of entertainment in Hawaii for local people. So again, a very, very disappointing decision by the state, not even a decision. Again, a waste of time waste. as they continue to battle each other and power struggle for certain things. And with each decision to delay, the cost goes up exponentially. So breathe. Okay, we gotta breathe. Cause I gotta <laughs> save, I gotta save some of this duress and stress for game four tomorrow night for the Lakers. But again, that wraps up our show for this week. We talked a lot about the NBA playoffs, uh, exciting round two so far. We showed, we told you the top 10 earners in the Forbes athlete top 10 earners. We talked about what my top 10 teams would be post-draft. Ernie shared his thoughts on that. And again, congratulations to the University of Hawaii men's volleyball team falling a little short in their quest to be the first team in nearly 40 years to win three consecutive national championships. Nothing to be disappointed on. So grateful for how they've galvanized and brought Hawaii together in support. Congratulations to Kamehameha Boys, uh, Campbell Girls in softball, and the Crusaders of St. Louis for their Boys State State Track and Field Championship. And again, tune into Kool-Aid and Paul every morning, 8 to 9, Wake Up in the Den on Hawaii Sports Radio Network, 760 AM and 95.1 FM. Anything else, Ernie? I'm good. All right. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms. And till next week, the sports rivals are out. Thank you for joining us on the Sports Rivals podcast. Check us out on social media at Sports Rivals Podcasts on Instagram and at Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter, where you can share topics you'd like to hear.